Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I'm your host, Jared Weich, episode 238, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Let's make sure we get outside and touch some grace. <laughs> one week from the, uh, one week with Elden Ring, essentially, uh, but this week is the Batman week. You've already seen it. Uh, I haven't yet. Going to be watching it, actually, after we're recording. It's, it's a good time to be you, right, Dom? <laughs> with that, all, all, yeah. the, all your interests. We are feasting. We are absolutely, it's a buffet over here. All of your multiverse selves are having a blast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, pretty interesting show today. We're going to be talking about Pokemon, obviously. I uh, got an update on a Star Wars game, uh, but that isn't, it's surprising that it came out, but it's not surprising that it's happening, and you'll understand when we get to it. Uh, have some Elden Ring sales news, uh, new, uh, new game studio drop, and a little small block of PlayStation stories. And then we'll be talking about Elden Ring and our early impressions. You said you played relatively around, what, 10 hours. I'm around 6, 7-ish. Uh, when we get into it, I'm curious to see what that time has been spent doing. Uh, but we'll save that for the end of the show. Let's get to the quickie news and the rundown. First up, Star Wars Eclipse, Dom. This was the new Star Wars title from Quantic Dream that was announced. And this report came out from this rumor mill Twitter account that, uh, quote, the game is now expected to release in 2027 or 2028 following Quantic Dream's difficulties hiring staff for the project. Now, normally, this wouldn't be a story because what is the sourcing here? Like, how, how is this true? Why is this true? Jeff Grubb, Industry Insider, uh, kind of came out and uh, corroborated these details and said, yeah, this is definitely the case. Um, you know, when this game was first announced, um, a lot of people were scratching their head, not because a new Star Wars game set in the High Republic was announced, because that's really cool and exciting, but then when the trailer ends with the Quantic Dream logo following all of the issues that studio has had in terms of employee misconduct, um, how do you feel about this? And are you surprised that they're having trouble getting people to work at this studio that's much maligned for terrible behavior from the top? So obviously we're kind of connecting the dots and jumping to our own conclusions, but assuming that we're correct in that, and that the reason they're having a hard time hiring people is because People don't want to work for this company after what they've read about how how that workplace is. So in which case, you know, good, right? Like at least, you know, sometimes the the market can kind of course correct and people can feel consequences when they're, you know, when they have a shitty workplace or they're bad policies. And there's all sorts of weird stuff that was apparently um, going on at Quantic Dream. So uh, this to me, like it kind of, if that's what's really going on and why these problems, why they're having these problems. And that kind of helps out the folks like, you know, me and you who are excited for a new star Wars game, but don't really want to support Quantic dream, but also don't want to not support all the good people at Quantic dream that would, you know, be working on this game, you know, that classic catch 22. So again, this means that, you know, we might not get this game till 2028 or whatever, but, you know, that's okay with me, to be honest. And I just get to delay that moral quandary for myself. And it also really tells me that they must not be very far along at all. And so, like, what is there? What even is there to this game aside from that good looking trailer? But, like, and maybe like some loose concepts, but I, how much could they even have done in outline at this point? It makes me wonder about that, too. My biggest hope is by the time this game releases, it wasn't led by David Cage. That's That'd my big nice. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause obviously like with any situation, there's plenty of developers there who are just caught in the middle of a awful thing. And 
I, you know, I don't want them necessarily to be punished for it because I know that they're capable of incredible work. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Not a surprise, though. Star Wars Eclipse is uh, off in the horizon, it seems. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Elden Ring selling like Elden hotcakes. Yes, I made that pun title. Uh, according Bling. to just Huh? Selling like Elden Bling. Elden Bling, yeah, there you go. Uh, according to GSD Market Data via Chris Dring over at GamesIndustry.biz, Elden Ring's UK launch was the biggest game launch outside of FIFA and Call of Duty since Red Dead Redemption 2 in 2019. Bigger than Assassin's Creed Valhalla, bigger than Cyberpunk 2077. Funny that he added those two things on there, uh, Chris Dring, because the Assassin's Creed Valhalla thing is like, wow, surprising. It sold more than the Assassin's Creed Valhalla. The cyberpunk thing, it's like, eh, based on how that game launched and everything, it's not surprising that it would beat its sales numbers. Um, obviously, this is just from the UK, but uh, going into this, we talked about how Elden Ring could possibly be from software's biggest launch in terms of sales because it's an open world game. It seems, and we'll get into this later in the show when we talk about our impressions of the game, it seems much more user-friendly. Not that it's easier, but it is much more user-friendly and newcomer-friendly. And uh, just anecdotally... Um, I have friends who have never played a From game who bought Elden Ring to play it. So there's that, and I could totally see that happening everywhere across the globe. What do these numbers say to you of it matching, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 and the Call of Duties and the FIFAs of the world and it being a, a, a From game, you know? I mean, it's cool. It's cool to see because this is obviously a, a developer and a genre that we've been super into, even though it's been a little bit more niche, right? A little bit more... Um, hard to access, you know, and kind of intimidating to get into kind of a thing. So it's cool to see it get, you know, more popularity. Also means we're going to get a lot more, going to hear a lot more noise of, you know, people who don't totally understand or know, don't totally know what they're getting into, kind of being like, what what on earth is this? This is insanity. This is ridiculously difficult. You know, this isn't, this isn't Red Dead, which, um, you know, this isn't FIFA, which very... Um, more accessible, I guess, game, more easy to to get into type game. So, but overall, it's cool and it's good to see that. I think part of this, um, part of these good sales, already led them to like give their employees pretty good bonuses and that can raise salaries, sort of a thing in response. So that's pretty cool to see um, that from software can do that too. Yeah, and it's funny because you know I have nothing against Hideo Kojima, but Hideo Kojima is very much the type of person who likes to evidently have his name on his projects and him be the face of the project, right? It's mm -hmm. who he is. Hidetaki Miyazaki is not that. The guy doesn't like media. He doesn't like doing interviews. He doesn't like being out in the spotlight. Any chance he gets, he thinks his team and their work and kind of puts himself second to them. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily he's better than Hideo Kojima for that, but it is cool to see somebody with that type of approach seeing this type of um, success outside of the Game of the Year award and the strong niche fan base seeing the commercial success that they're seeing, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and to put into perspective, the entire Souls series has sold 20, that being Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3, sold 20 million units total, which is equivalent to what the first Horizon game sold. Uh, so you can see that as popular as they are and as much as the internet likes talking about from games, they don't necessarily sell astronomically they sell very well for what they are but they're not you know putting up crazy numbers so it's cool to see Elden Ring matching this and I wonder you know with Activision now being acquired by Microsoft and did we ever get answers on if Sekiro was owned by From or if it was owned by Activision yeah we were wondering that because obviously Activision published that game yeah but 
yeah, we don't know, like, yeah, who technically owns that IP. Good question. I would assume from software does, but because place both of the games that uh, PlayStation published for from they own the IP, they own Demon Souls and then they own Bloodborne. Right. So I wonder. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I was just asking because that game sold pretty well too, and I wonder if now if Microsoft would green light if they want to work with them to make a, a sequel to Sekiro. You know what I mean? That'd be pretty dope. Yeah, um, it's really. But yeah, I think what's interesting too about it is the sales are great, but it just seems like it's absolutely dominated the conversation, and especially when it's contrasted with Horizon Forbidden West, which also just came out. Didn't get you know, it got great review scores, not as good as Elden Ring, but still really great. And it, supposedly, I haven't touched it yet, right? This is something yeah. like that, but great game. But I haven't heard a peep about it since like the day it came out, like couple of reviews and it's like it vanished so that's that's not that's not good <laughs> um i mean that's like a huge flagship ga- flagship game for sony right so that's kind of um unfortunately i don't I think horizon will be fine you know a similar thing happened with the first horizon obviously when breath of the wild came out right on top of it too so it's a little bit of bad luck there i guess and bad timing but that's i think that's what's more impressive about Elden ring is just that it is entirely dominated the conversation it feels like in a way broader sense than any of the other from games well i think it's sequelitis in a way right of like mm-hmm. because Elden ring is the new thing it's much more interesting to talk about even though it follows a lot of the formulas of from software as opposed to horizon which obviously isn't a copy and paste sequel but it is much more similar to the first game and i was thinking about this because uh, a conversation we had a while back on the podcast was would god of war ragnarok uh, Breath of the Wild 2 and Horizon uh, Forbidden West review as well as the first games, right? Because they're follow-ups to initial outings and franchises that kind of change the page on what people would expect. Obviously, that's the case with God of War and Legend of Zelda, Horizon being a new IP. And the more I thought about it, I think Breath of the Wild 2 and Horizon are much more of a concern for that. Uh, whatever you want to label as a concern, it's still reviewed well and obviously it'll sell well. Whereas with God of War, because it's a much more linear story-driven game, I think that one could feel the most different in a sequel than the other two being more of these open-world experiences that kind of have to follow the same rules, if that makes sense, you know? Obviously, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 is changing some things, especially with, like, all of the sky areas and stuff like that. So maybe if I were to rank them in terms of the one that will suffer the most from sequelitis to the least would probably be Horizon, then Zelda, then God of War. But I was just thinking about that with God of War being a much more linear story game, that might benefit it the most in a sequel, kind of like with The Last of Us Part Two, you know? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But congrats to Elden Ring. We're going to be talking about it for the foreseeable future, obviously. Uh, and the way From Software is in you know, a year and a half, we'll be hearing about whatever the next game is because they just churn them out in an incredible fashion. Uh, next up, new game studio has dropped Fortis is a uh, studio, a brand new studio, made up of former WB Games veterans. Uh, They founded the studio with the saying that, quote, the new game company said that it intends to develop the next generation of live service games. Uh, They wanted to talk about why they see value in multiplayer spaces in terms of social interactions and all of that. Um, The most interesting part of this is that the studio currently sits at 150 employees already and with hopes for uh, further expansion, which makes sense because if they're going to be tackling um, games as service titles, you need a a big team because you need people to be actively handling what's coming next in terms of expansions and new content. But you also need a strong team handling what's currently ongoing in the game 
And with it being a live service title and it being online, there's going to be bugs, there's going to be issues, there's going to be balancing, all of that stuff. Um, I know you're not the biggest games of service guy, Dom, but is there anything Fortis could announce, especially with their pedigree from WB Games making AAA titles, that would pique your interest? It doesn't necessarily need to be like an IP, but maybe like a theme or something like that. Is there anything they could announce that would pique your interest? I mean, if it's going to be something that follows the form, the same format as most of the live service games we've seen, then not really. Not, nothing. It would have to be IP, right? Like I talked at length when we first heard the Ubisoft rumors about, um, you know, potentially a Star Wars live service game. Obviously, I'm going to be there to check that out. Whether that sticks or works out, I don't know. But um, that's, for me, what it's going to take to get in, right? Like what it's going to have to be the IP because so far, even... Even trying to get into Destiny was was hard to get that to stick. Where it, it does everything, you know, right in terms of gameplay and and uh, even if the story is good, it's just it was harder and the characters were were interesting. It was harder for me to kind of connect to them and like stick with the continuing element of the game. I don't know. So I, to me, it's gotta it would have to be IP. It'd have to be something that you know really I'm interested in. With it being a new studio, my hope is that they are willing and able to experiment in the genre and try things we haven't seen. Because to your point, you know, if it's like every other live service game we've seen before, right. all of those have come with their issues. And you, you'd you hope with the flexibility of them being their own studio now and them having the experience of working at WB Games, that they kind of know what they want to do, what works and what doesn't work. And maybe the things that you know, an aspect we don't often talk about is in pitch meetings and in development meetings, there's stuff that gets canned for various reasons. One, it's shot down by upper management. Two, it becomes a cut due to budgetary reasons or making a deadline, right? A lot of those factors. So now with their own studio, I wonder if they take a lot of these ideas they might have had or wanted to try out and implement them in a way that they feel could be successful in the games of service space. We'll just have to find out. But it's always nice, you know, we... We talk about the gloom and doom of all of these acquisitions, the, you know, everything consolidating, but then we're getting these announcements of these new studios as well. So there's nice balance to it all, and hopefully it works out for these studios. And lastly, before we get into the Pokemon news that I'm excited to talk about, uh, PlayStation Storyblock. So first up, we had an interview over with GamesBeat's Dean Takahashi, uh, where the Returnal developers, Housemark, talked about numerous things regarding Returnal, their breakout hit uh, after struggling with their high quality but low selling arcade games over the years uh, they're currently working on a new ip so this kind of came out as a shocker to people because i guess people assumed with the success of returnal that they'd automatically be green lighting a sequel and working on it um but that isn't the case and from an experience perspective neither of us have played returnal correct Right. So it's like we can't really talk to that necessarily, but we do know we follow the gaming industry. We know how successful it was and how well it reviewed and how much people liked it. Is it surprising to you, Dom, that Housemark is pivoting towards a new? I shouldn't say pivoting because it means they're abandoning it. But are you are you surprised that their next project is a new IP and not Returnal Two, or do you think they want to have that time in between and maybe think of new ideas and how to implement maybe systems or mechanics that could make Returnal a better game from an accessibility standpoint? Yeah, I guess it can go either way because they've never... I don't think they've ever done a sequel. They've done, they've made a bunch of games, but um, I know they did like Dead Nation, Alienation, and then Returnal. I think there was one or two more at least. Um, but yeah, they 
they don't really do sequels as far as i as far as i remember they're like the developer of hades right what's their name um dang it the name escaped me go on i'll look it up sorry but yeah so i it doesn't really shock me that you know they want to just move right on to the next thing and not not do a returnal 2 or whatever it is like that doesn't kind of shock me too much well, what obviously has changed since then, they got because they got bought by Sony, right? Or I, yes, I, I'm pretty okay. sure they're owned. I'll I'll look that up as well. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's obviously a new development. Um, and and so obviously Sony might have some influence. Like, eh, I got I know I know you guys usually like to just jump to a new project, but we're gonna have to make that new project a sequel. So I I could see that too. So I, if I had to guess though, I it seems like they don't like doing sequels, and so it doesn't shock me too much. So, yes, they did buy them June of last year. Uh, I was pretty sure, but with you, I I wasn't totally sure. Uh, And lastly, um, Supergiant is obviously the developers for Mm -hmm. 80s. They also don't make sequels to games. Uh, They kind of are one and done to move on to the next idea. And who knows, maybe the next game is a spiritual successor to Returnal, right? It's a new IP, Mm -hmm. but maybe it carries a lot of those same traits from their arcade roots. You never know. Uh, Next, um, this is much more of a, a rumor mill thing. Uh, this is according to Twitter user account NGT, which you're like, Jared, why are you bringing up information from this random ass Twitter account? Uh, it's actually a pretty credible uh, leaker who has a pretty solid track record of uh, not only video game uh, leaks, but also film and TV leaks too. Um, so there is a little bit of credibility here, not saying that it's true, but you know, there's a little bit uh, there to believe in. Uh, basically sucker punch is currently working on, not only a new infamous title, but also a new Sly Cooper title. Uh, shout out to former co-host of the show, uh, Jordan. He would probably be excited to hear that a new Sly Cooper's on the way. He had wanted that ever since we started the podcast. Um, looking at this, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, Sucker Punch is coming off of Ghost of Tsushima and then the multiplayer expansion, which I forget the name of. That was also hugely successful for them. When I look at this... To me, it's not so much that this leak might not be true, Dom, but I think it's one of those things that maybe some of the details are, aren't as clear. Because for me reading this, it's like, I could totally see a new Sly Cooper in development because it's a, a piece of PlayStation's lineup that's not there. A new Infamous title doesn't make sense to me because they kind of already have the superhero thing down with Spider-Man, Wolverine on the horizon. Um... Hell, even in some aspects, God of War, Kratos is a superhero. Obviously, it's a bit of a stretch. But to me, it feels more like an infamous remaster collection, right, would make more sense for that franchise and kind of dip their toes and see what the interest is with infamous in a world where superheroes are in every crevice of society. Um, Yeah, so what do you feel about this rumor? Uh, And do you think that it's more of, yeah, sure, there could be an infamous project and it's like Cooper project, but... Not necessarily that they're brand new entries in the franchises. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because they just obviously they've done well with it. Seems bringing back Ratchet and Clank, right, uh, with Insomniac, and so maybe it's kind of we, we could do this, a similar thing with Sly Cooper, right? Maybe do a remake, and then depending on his performance, you know, get some sequels going and that kind of thing. So, um, I could see that. Yeah, Infamous is just a little harder to envision because it's. For one, it's just more recent, and so I don't know. But they they like to remaster everything, even if it was just came out a week ago. So, um, I mean, it's harder for me to see it. I guess I'm less interested in it than Sly Cooper. So maybe it's just the bias speaking. But yeah, but um, I think it's a bias that speaks for a lot of people. Like 
-hmm. why on earth would I want to play Infamous when I can play Spider-Man or Wolverine? And I know not everything needs to be like big branded IP, but like sometimes it does. <laughs> you know, Whereas I don't know. they're kind yeah. of you know lacking in Sony's portfolio on the um, action platformer, you know, kind of genre more so than the superhero genre. So you know the the Ratchet and Clank. It's not Cooper's, you know, obviously a stealth game, but it's the platformer collectible type of game. From what I remember, it's been a long time. like a mascot game, yeah. And then yeah. people forget. PlayStation just lost Crash Bandicoot too, right? So that was it. Obviously, PlayStation IP for a long time, and yeah, so that's where. And then even what does Xbox do for mascot? I don't even know. But obviously, Nintendo is kind of the the king of that genre. So yeah, I could. It, it makes to me more sense to. I just get more excited for some Sly Cooper. Like bring that to modern standards. That could be cool. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, and I think it's with the art style of that game, you could really utilize the power of the PS5 because I think oftentimes too we get lost in graphical fidelity being the ultra realistic stuff right like look how beautiful Horizon is Uncharted is all of this stuff but I think we also often underestimate what the power of these systems can do for art styles and you mm -hmm. know stuff that is more animated looking and make it crisper and more well polished we often look like oh what's this detail in the skin as opposed to look how crisp and clean this, this graphic style looks so I'd be interested yeah. to see that too and you know, I, I do think it is one of those things where in my head I envision, okay, we're watching a state of play, Dom, and they reveal a brand new Sly Cooper game. I think that gets a, a much bigger pop on social media and the reaction YouTube videos than an infamous game. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I just don't know in a, in a, in a world where we're getting these amazing superhero games if infamous kind of feels like it belongs anymore it kind of feels dated in a way despite it not being an old franchise it just i don't know this doesn't hold up that well and yeah. to me i'm like why would i i'd ra much rather have sucker punch if they're focusing on a triple a AAA, you know action adventure type of game i'd much rather have them tackle ghost of tsushima 2 than an infamous game because that brings some variety to the playstation lineup right i don't know that's just, that's the last thing i was gonna throw in is yeah maybe like do we want either of these things instead of um, Tsushima 2? And I don't know the answer to that. That's tougher. But. Well, I mean, Sly Cooper would presumably be a smaller title that a, a side team could work on. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I think, my assumption is if you're working on a brand new Infamous, you want that thing to pop so you have Team A on it, right? Uh, so that would take away from Ghost of Tsushima 2. So I don't know. We'll see. Interesting things ahead for PlayStation. Um, excited to see when we get that new state of play. Next up... Pokemon Scarlet and Violet were announced. So this Sunday, we talked about it on last week's podcast that there was going to be a Pokemon Day present, uh, Presents. And they had all these announcements leading up to Sunday. So I told you, Dom, it's probably going to be something more substantial. Excuse me. I went in even kill. I had, you know, middling expectations. And I was pleasantly surprised, uh, which was nice to see. So the Pokemon Presents happened on February 27th. Uh, and I, they went through some announcements for mobile stuff and a, a bunch of other things, some updates for Pokemon Legends Arceus. But then they announced the ninth gen of mainline games. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. No one expected it. It didn't leak, which is cool. And here are the following details that were revealed regarding the next generation of Pokemon in the trailer. Um, first up, the region looks to be based on Spain, Iberia. You can tell uh, based on a lot of the architecture and farming and setup, uh, there's like a Spanish cathedral that seems to be the central hub of the game with a Pokeball at the top of it. Uh, cool. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, 
every region uh, in Pokemon games is based on a real-life region. The first uh, two or three games were based on areas in Japan, and then since that, they've kind of expanded outward. Uh, Pokemon Black and White Gen 5 was based on New York. Gen 6 was based on Paris, France. Uh, Gen 7 was the Alolan Islands. Gen 8 was the English countryside. So now with Gen 9, it seems like we're getting Spain, Iberia, which is cool. There's actually a tie-in later to the starter Pokemon in terms of it being based in Spain. Uh, next up, it'll use uh, Pokemon Legend Arceus's wild Pokemon environment design. So if you've seen anything about the game, the Pokemon exist in the real world. Uh, they're going around. Certain ones spawn in certain areas. That changes based on the time of day. There's a day-night cycle, all of that good stuff. Uh, the one change from Pokemon Legends Arceus, though, is that it'll be seamless traversal between cities and wild areas. So the way Pokemon Legends Arceus works, Dom, is you have that central village, right? Anytime you want to go out into the wild, you pick what area you want to go to, and then you're followed by a loading screen, right? Every time. It's kind of a bummer. And one of the more annoying things, and this is something that's a bit of an oversight that I hope they fix in a future update, you can't travel from wild region to wild region. You have to travel back to the village and then and then out to a different region, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, It's just one of those archaic things that's like, why? It doesn't make any damn sense. But with this, it seems to be, a, they're, they're labeling it as a seamless uh, open world, meaning that you can walk from a wild area straight into the city, explore the city, and walk out, which is really cool. A thing that uh, you may not have noticed in the trailer, Dom, that is pretty big for Pokemon, as little as it is, is that you can see NPCs walking around in the cities instead of being st stapled or glued into one spot, standing there oh, waiting yeah. for somebody to come across and talk to them. So it yeah. makes the world feel a little bit more immersive, which is nice. Uh, the one thing we don't know yet, and this is going to be big in my, in my opinion, is it's unclear if the new mechanics and Pokédex system will be implemented in this. So I talked about this before, Dom, how... It's not just you catch the Pokemon there in your Pokedex. You have, like, goals and missions you can do for each Pokemon. And not only that, the battle mechanics are a little bit different. Uh, and you can just catch Pokemon without ever battling them either. It's unclear if those things will come. It's assumed that, if, you know, if you're basing the world design on something similar to Legends Arceus, that that stuff will follow too. But you don't want to assume too many things and, get, you know, get your hopes up only for them to be brought down. Uh, the biggest thing, it's coming late 2022. Uh, based on the history of Pokemon, that means November. Uh, it'll be releasing this November, um, which is interesting based on us getting the remakes in the fall of last year, now Pokemon Legends Arceus, and now this. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the nitty-gritty details are those starters, baby. It's all that matters with a brand-new Pokemon generation. Uh, jokes aside. Uh, so the first one is a grass uh, feline named Sprigatito. So the name is uh, partly sprig because it's grass, so like a branch, and gatito, which is a uh, small cat. So obviously gato is Spanish for cat. When you add tito to the end of a Spanish word, it usually means small, right? So a small stick that kind of makes sense for its name. The second one is a fire crocodile. <clears throat> and uh, this one is interesting because I knew the first part of its name. Its name is Foycoco. Uh, the first part I knew was Fuego because it's a fire Pokemon, so Fuego, mm -hmm. fire. Uh, and I, I was like, Coco, is it because it's a crocodile? Well, that doesn't make sense, because it's like, it's not Crocro or something, you know? Uh, it turns out the Spanish name for crocodile is Cocodrio, which, so there you go. You got Fuego and then crocodile. Uh, and there's something I want to go into with him, uh, so make sure you have a picture pulled up of, of him. And lastly, okay. we have Quaxley, who is the bell of the ball. This is the one that everyone loves. This is the... Uh, 
the little uh, water duck with a, a pompadour-style hat that the internet has turned into Donald Trump, unfortunately. Um, and other people are joking that, uh, you know, it's a cop, so a cab and all that stuff. It's really funny. The internet's having a blast <laughs> with these Pokemon. <clears throat> Before I get into the detail about Foy Coco Dom, off the top, uh, which one of these guys stole your heart out of the three? Just looking at him. Honestly, this time around, none of them. Interesting. Okay. Usually I can at least, you know, everyone, whether you even like Pokemon, you can at least like look at them and kind of feel attached to one. That's, I mean, that's kind of always been the point of Pokemon, I guess. You always have to pick one out of the three. But yeah, something something about them. Um, I, like if I had to pick, I'd probably go with with the grass type, with the little kitten. Um, kind of cute. The thing I hope with that Pokemon is that we get a, a, a cat that doesn't stand on two legs in its final form. Give me like a green, like a grass saber tooth tiger or something that's on all fours. Something super cool. Uh, and, and maybe when the final evolutions come out, that'll sell you. Maybe there's a final evolution of these guys that you're like, oh, that's sick. That's anyway. kind of what I'm picturing and making that choice based on is like, I could picture like an absolute, like a cheetah or a lion evolution out of this guy that is just really badass. And the interesting thing is, so Prig- Sprigatito uh, is a grass feline, very similar to Litten, the Gen 7 starter, uh, which, uh, is a fire a fire cat right that turns into Incineroar, which is the wrestling cat that's in Super Smash Brothers. Foy Coco is a fire crocodile. We've already gotten a water crocodile. I don't know if you remember Dom. This is probably back when you were still playing Pokemon actively. Uh, Totodile from Gen yep. Two. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Foy Coco real quick. So if you look at a picture of him, right, people are like, "Oh, that little thing, that little hair on the top of his head looks like an apple. He looks like an apple." With the front of his face being carved out and being white in comparison to the rest of his body being red. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a little bit of sleuthing, and I can't take 100% credibility for this because it was some, some, some message boards and forums that I came across randomly. He's not an apple. He's a pepper. And the more I explain this, the pepper makes more sense because peppers are known for being hot. So it's fire typing. There's that, right? Sure, whatever. His face isn't the inside of an apple. It's a skull. And the thing you might not know, Dom, is in the last couple of generations, starter Pokemon don't only evolve to be fire, water, grass. They've made it so they're dual types, right? Fire fighting, grass, whatever, water, whatever. There's a good chance that this guy ends up being a fire ghost type because he's a ghost pepper. That would be interesting. Yeah, which would totally be cool. Also adds to the aesthetic of him being a crocodile because like crocodiles and skulls, it's very Egyptian in its um imagery right and i think that'd be a really dope design um so i'm excited for that and a ghost pepper to me whether that's true or not makes more sense for the inspiration of his design than an apple an apple doesn't make sense at all really when you think about it so that'd be really cool so if he's a fire ghost type that'd be dope uh to your point if the sprigatito ends up being a cheetah cheetahs are fast Something, a typing that's usually related to being fast is electricity. A grass electric type would be pretty sick, right? Uh, You have this, like, grass cheetah that's also electric type. Quaxley, I don't know. He's, like, going to be water Republican or something. I have no idea. I mean, he looks looks like he's, like, at the front of the line telling you why you can't enter a place or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, so he could be, like, water fighting maybe. And that'd be interesting yeah. because we don't really get water fighting. There's kind of a trope in the Pokemon community that every damn fire starter is fire fighting. And that was that way for a couple of generations. Torchic turned into a firefighting type. Uh, the little monkey turned into a firefighting type. 
uh, the pig turned into a firefighting type. It's it's kind of retread territory. So for it to be a water fighting would be dope. So um, because the most notable water fighting Pokemon I can think of off the top of my head is Poliwhirl. I don't know if you remember him from Gen One. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. So that'd be a really cool combo, and it, it would fit because as cute as he looks, he does look like. He's a guard or something, right? Some something yes. like that. And I wonder if it's if you do more research, maybe there's a type of, you know, the English have the royal guard. I wonder if Spain has something similar that's a notable, uh-huh. notable like security type getup that maybe they're inspired by. A, a funny one I saw is what if his head turns into like a helmet and he's a conquistador? That'd be pretty cool. How do you think of this? Uh, yeah, I'm just picturing him to be. You know, obviously, like, Foy Coco, I could see, you know, growing up into a, a bigger, growing up, evolving into <laughs> a more, like, crocodile type, like, you know, di- dinosaur sort of looking thing. We talked about the cheetah for Sprigatito, but then for Quaxley, I just see him, like, being muscularly defined, like, taller, but but slimmer, you know, and more like a ninja okay. or, or like a kind of like there's a different fighter Pokemon that um, is kind of a stereotypical one. I could see him, like. A little more, not huge, like, you know, a giant alligator. Like a Himonlee or a Himonchan type buddy? Yes, like, yeah, like yeah. one of those guys. Um, but still, obviously, with, like, the duck beak and the wings. And, you know. and then, yeah, we'll see what happens to that hair because something needs to. And but, yeah. to your point, off the top of my head, I can't think of a bird Pokemon outside of... Did you ever see Farfetch's evolution that it got? Where it was, like, a guard. He had, like, a giant, like, pole and he had a hat. That's a bird that's also a fighting type. You might want to Google it real quick. Look up Surfetched. Uh, it could be similar to that, following in line with that, where it's a bird that's a fighting type. And this one will be water fighting, so it'll have the combo there. Um, and Surfetched isn't, like, that physically oh, imposing. That's right. It's kind this of like guy. an internet meme. Yeah, I forgot about him because he's holding yeah. a freaking celery or onion. <laughs> it's really cool. It's like uh, It reminds me of, like, um, a jousting. Not Is it jousting? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. like a jousting uh, sword. Is that what it's called when the two horses run at each other? Is it jousting? Is that a jousting tournament? That, I'm going to Google jousting. Hang on. Look up horse jousting. Yes, that's jousting. Okay, yeah. So he has like a, j- a jousting spear. Um, but they're they're adorable. Uh, for me, I would say based on the starters... Quackley is like the overloved kid. Like I kind of don't want to like him because everyone loves him. So I'm like, I'm kind of done with that. I usually lean towards, you know, you know that I love Bulbasaur. I usually lean toward grass starters. My problem with Sprigatito is that it looks too similar to Litten. So it's like, it's kind of like been there, done that. When we get the final evolutions, that might change. Um, but I got to go with Foy Coco just because I really love Totodile. I love the crocodile theming. If it's a ghost pepper, fire ghost is a really interesting type to me that we haven't gotten all that much. We have like Chandelure and a couple of other Pokemon, but as a starter, that'd be dope. And I always love like reptilian Pokemon a lot. They, they, they're they a vibe that I, I love. Plus his one little snaggle tooth at the front is adorable. Before we move on to our uh, Elden Ring, uh, I guess, impressions, the one thing we didn't mention at all uh, talking about Pokemon is the name. And they're Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Uh, I'm going to get Violet just because I've always liked the color purple. That's pretty much the only reason why. Um, it's it's cool that they're going back to colors. Uh, people get too hung up on the names too often. I don't know why people care all that much. Um, 
it's usually for me it's like well which one do i want and uh out of the two it's, it's usually just based on a vibe i don't really care about the exclusive pokemon because my lifelong friend who's also into pokemon he always, we always get the opposite of one another and it always has worked out ever since pokemon red and blue that we wanted a different one i wanted blue he wanted red i wanted silver he wanted gold uh, even going back to uh um sword and shield i wanted sword he wanted shield so it kind of has always worked out he loves the color red he's an atlanta falcons fan dom so i'm mm. pretty sure he'll be stoked to get scarlet so i'm I'm good with violet i'm perfectly fine with that so it's always funny how that thing has worked out um except for black and white because we're both white dudes so that's a joke uh <laughs> let's uh let's talk about what we've been playing which is I guess the only thing we I want to talk about any, anyways is Elden Ring. Kind of spend our time talking about that. I mean, it's, um, let's be honest. It's the only game that exists right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is going to be spoilers for the early game, but we're going to try to avoid talking specifically about, you know, bosses that are later on. We're only going to be really probably talking about the initial bosses that almost everyone will run into and then loosely talk about other experiences because – we're not super far in either. You're about 10 hours in. I'm about six to seven hours in. So it's not like we've seen a whole lot. Uh, if you're very uh, specific about spoilers, I suggest tuning out now. We're just going to be talking about Elden Ring and then closing out the show. So thank you for listening. If you listen this far and you want to avoid spoilers, I totally get it. But let's hop into it, Dom. So first off, off the top of the bat, what class did you choose? I went with the Astrologer. So I was kind of going for a, an intelligence, a mage build this time around. Interesting. Um, and funny enough, right when I asked you that question, I brain farted about which class I chose. I chose the first one. I don't remember its name. It's either Warrior or Vagabond. Vagabond. There you go. Bingo. Okay. Because uh, Warrior is like a couple to the right. It's like near Hero and stuff. Uh, so I chose Vagabond. Um, I was debating between that and, and Samurai. And the only reason I went with it over Samurai is that Samurai was giving me too much of Sekiro vibes, and I kind of didn't want to run through and feel like I'm playing open world Sekiro, right? Um, so I kind of I went with Vagabond. I went with a female. Um, I guess the first thing uh, about this game is obviously in Souls fashion, it's there's an optional tutorial right where you fall down into that pit and you kind of learn the ways of the game. The weirdest thing about this game that we saw in trailers and stuff, and even in gameplay previews. But I didn't like have it click in my head until I started playing is this game has a jump button. You can jump, which is cool, yeah. um, which I know that sounds dumb. He's like, yeah, Jared, didn't you see people jumping in trailers and stuff? It's like, yeah, but I guess it didn't click to me <laughs> because playing something that feels so much like Souls and being able to jump is such a weird experience. You know, it, it gets really weird when you get to points in the game where you have to jump because there's physical obstacles in front of you that in any other from software game, I guess excluding Sekiro you just weren't meant to go that way, right? Like, you can't jump. You can't get on that ledge, so you just don't. And that's what I, you know, that's what's been ingrained in my head for so long, and now it's like, oh, no, you just you just jump up those ledges, and then you can continue exploring. So it's, it is it is a weird barrier to have to cross when you've played every other Souls game. Um, I guess before we get into our unique experiences, I want to first talk about the Fallout vault moment that this game has, which is pretty incredible, where you open that door and you're unleashed to the open world of Elden Ring. Did that hit for you in the same way that it hit hits in Fallout? I mean, we didn't have the same time in 
that that cave system that we do in like a fallout game where it's like an hour in a vault right before you actually go up to the surface whereas mm -hmm. this is more so like 15 20 minutes but to me it was still as inspiring uh just because of the tonal shift in the imagery you're seeing uh did it have that same effect on you yeah definitely not only like not actually not quite as much as like initially coming out but like in the immediate couple minutes it's you're quickly with hit with like shit now it's like you know i'm it's breath of the wild it's literally i can go so many different directions and it doesn't there's nothing i go to the left and try to climb down to this beach you know go forward towards these big structures um and there's just there's so much going on there's just enemies chilling out in the world like pokemon <laughs> um yeah but yeah that's where it really started to set in of like oh yeah this this is this feels very different it's structured quite a bit differently um than other souls games so all that and then of course you see the big golden tree and um you see that often every time you're outside and it's like it's just so pretty looking um i think an interesting abstract. point to start at for both of us dom would be i'm gonna express my my journey from leaving that door to fighting my first boss and i want you to do the same because i want to see how different or similar they are okay so obviously you first leave the building and you're greeted to this guy standing next to your first side of grace outside. I don't remember his name, but he's basically like, eat shit and die. You're not good enough for this world. See you later, <laughs> essentially. That's it's like, oh, there's some yeah. shining things in the sky. Follow them if you want, but you're going to die anyways because you're a nobody, whatever. Apparently, his dialogue was, I thought it was pretty harsh, but apparently it was much harsher in the preview build. Uh, Andy Cortez of Kind of Funny kind of pointed fun at that, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so, obviously, you talk to him. You sit at the side of grace. You have this glowing thing. Now... In from software fashion, they want you to go down and fight the armored soldier on the back of the horse and get your ass whooped, uh, which I knew wasn't something I wanted to do because I knew I wasn't going to have a chance. So basically, I actually went right first, and you see the ocean at the bottom, but there's like this uh, cliffside that you can climb on where you run into some vampires uh, or giant bats or whatever you want to call them. So I fought them for a bit, killed some of them, gathered their body parts, killed some random... Um, animals like the goats that roll around and stuff um and then i was for some reason i felt like i was going the wrong way and that's the beauty of this game is it doesn't ever tell you that and it doesn't want you to feel that way but for me i was like i feel like i'm going in a direction where i shouldn't yet right i just felt that vibe so instead i went back i went past the knight uh, on the horse the tree sentinel i believe is his name you go to the church you meet the dude dressed up as santa claus who's like the merchant <laughs> yeah. and he has like a terrifying donkey dog thing next to him which is horrifying uh, he also has the armory next to him, the, the blacksmithing area, which I didn't notice until much later. Uh, you obviously have another side of grace there. It's a church site, sit down, sit at the grace thing is what I did. So then I started venturing out and to the right, you have this like forested area to the slight right of that. You have some more giant bats. And then to the left of that, you have like this little pond area. So I, you know, waddle over to the pond. I see this turtle there. I'm like, is this just a normal ass tortoise? Sure enough, it's a normal-ass tortoise. Kill the thing, feel terrible about it, because after you swing once, it kind of goes back into its shell, and it takes strong attacks to actually damage it at that point. And you're like, really have to work to kill this peaceful animal, and it's awful feeling. And then you run into some mosquitoes who don't do a lot of damage. They're just annoying because they zip all over the screen. Uh, so you want to lock onto them and wait for them to get close. They're just annoying enemies to deal with. And then there's like this these gas-creating pods that are total from software enemies that... Don't do anything, but they expel this poison that builds up on you. Um, and the interesting th thing here is I think at this point, most people go left 
up into the crevasse, run into those undead soldiers, Dom, and then end up getting to their first boss fight with the gargoyle cat creature, which we can talk about if that ends up being your first boss. Oh, you don't know about this boss? <laughs> so far, I I don't know anything about the tree sentinel. I think I've seen a screenshot of that. I, I was previously wondering, yeah, I didn't run into that guy. I didn't fight any vampire bats. Um, I made my way to the same church with the blacksmith, but so far, I don't have any similarities other than that with you. So I don't know how you didn't see the tree sentinel, because he literally, his path is up the path from the church down to the first grace that you sit at. Yeah. So unless it was just like crazy timing to where he was hidden behind a bush on his pathing and you like walked by him. Um, So anyways, most people fight the the cat, uh, uh, the the cat gargoyle, at at least in my cursory understanding of my friends playing. That's who they ran into. That wasn't my first boss. And we'll get into that in a bit. So uh, to the right of that pond is the small little forest area with random soldiers. It's kind of where, where you learn how to properly backstab and stealth and all of that stuff. They're the guys dressed in the four-colored uh, knight armor getup. Um, one of them you'll see sitting next to a campfire just chilling. I don't know if he's like leveling up with souls or runes or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. But uh, literally on the like to the north of him, there's the mountain. And to the left of that, you'll see a small cave entrance, a little tiny cave entrance you can go into. Okay. This is my first boss experience. So it's, it's before you go out into, you know, how there's the outpost on the other side of the forest, Dom, mm-hmm. the giant outpost. Yep. So before that, in that same forest to the left. So it's in between the pond and the forest is a small little cave door. And you'll notice it based on like a torch hanging on the wall. And I hope I'm not spoiling this for you. If I am, it's like a first thing in the game. I, I kind of want to talk about my first boss experience. So hopefully you're okay it. with that. So I walk in, this cave is riddled with wolves. There's like 12 wolves in here. One of them, very much the alpha wolf, very much larger than the rest of them. So, you know, I come through, I jump down, I kill the alpha wolf, struggle a little bit with the other wolves, kill them, go back, sit at the gray site, reheal, go back. Okay, I understand the layout. This is total Souls 101. I get it now. I can have a clear run through. Then you approach the boss door, mm-hmm. you get in. And I'm like, who is this Magic the Gathering looking motherfucker, this beast master dude? Um, not a very tough boss, but I do think it's a great beginner boss because his whole moveset teaches you the core of souls, which is enemy attack patterns and dodging them. Um, and he very much is punishable with the new mechanic that we didn't really talk about yet, which is you have the normal parry that souls games do, but there's a new one to where if you block with your shield an attack, you can actually respond with a counter move, right? Um, which I think is awesome. I'm re- having real fun with that mechanic. And I do think it's it's the opposite of what Bloodborne did, right, Dom? So Bloodborne took away the shield and told you to be super aggressive. And in Alden Ring, they had this new ability for blocking that's like, it's okay if you want to block. We're going to reward you for blocking things as long as you can time it right and you get a counterattack, which I think goes to it being more newcomer user-friendly. Not necessarily easier, but more friendly. Um, so I fought him, killed him, uh, made my way to the outpost. Uh, Obviously you can clear that however you want. There's two really good items you can get in those, uh, like wagons, right. That they're protecting. And there's also something I found out. There's a defogging item in the game where you pick up this thing and it defogs a section of the map, which is totally normal for open world games. I didn't expect it in uh, this from game for some reason. Um, and then you sit, right. Huh? You mean the map fragment? Is that what it's called? 
like so it actually like illuminates and yeah it defogs the map yeah i couldn't remember the name of the item okay um it basically shows like the uh geography of the map right yeah okay. uh so i just couldn't remember what the item was called so when you sit at that gray side obviously and you get a uh, torrent uh your horse which is funny have you heard about the the uh conspiracy theory about that horse uh yeah they, they named it such so that you couldn't find a torrent file if you google yeah it. when you search uh elden ring torrent yeah. the horse comes up which is so totally really mm -hmm. funny um one thing i found out is that if you fast travel back to the church you activate a character moment did you know about mm -hmm. that yep. yeah so you meet this mage i don't remember her name she's a witch and she grants you the summoning power to summon uh three spectral wolves right and, and sorry if i'm not getting the specific terms right i can't remember them and this is important, and this is where, like, sometimes I get when people say, like, things are a little obtuse, and uh, that's the thing, is if you, this game can be extremely, extremely difficult, or it could be quite easy, uh, because going back to the church and getting that uh, summoning bell, I forget what it's called, that, yeah, lets you, um, you can get those three wolves initially, and then there's a bunch more stuff you can summon, and what those are is, like, they're powerful on their own, but that, that distracts enemies, especially bosses and stuff, and keeps the aggro off of you. It makes the game tremendously easier. And they're not they're not easy, but they're not um they're not weak. They're pretty helpful. So like you, that's really easy to miss that, right? Um Yeah. But obviously if you follow a guide or ask a couple questions, you know, you read one article with some quick tips, you're gonna go find it. So it's you know, left to your own devices, this it's a different game, I guess. <laughs> And funny enough, the only reason I fast traveled back is because I wanted to explore because I noticed I hadn't looked in that left side area where you find the cat gargoyle. Uh, and that's why I fast traveled back because I was like, I, before I go too far in this game, I really want to explore this world. So I want to get your first moments in the first boss you ran into. First, I want to mention. So I fought the Beastmaster, then I fought the cat gargoyle. And then the third boss, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't run into it. So I'll wait to, for you to tell your side of things. It was a, a, a boss in, in catacombs, in a catacomb area. Um, and that's it, pretty much it. Uh, was it a cave? Was it called Murkwater or Murk Lair? Something like that? It was past the jellyfish. Okay, I don't know about a jellyfish, so. Okay, yeah, there's the these one. random jellyfish enemies that you come across, and then you find a door, you open, and you go down into these catacombs. Um, okay, because there's something I wanted to make sure, because there's someone I ran into, a boss, that... Uh, I don't want to spoil either, but anyway, um, yeah, I guess I was similar because I went straight. Um, I found the church um, almost right away with the blacksmith um, and Santa Claus. I went, you know, back behind that, fought some of those guys, those regular soldiers, and found like a little cave. It turned out to be another little catacomb area with um, some traps and some enemies and things like that. And then there's a boss in there and. It's like a weird Egyptian statue dog thing. I don't remember what it was called, but it wasn't too hard. Um, you know, like wait, two you're tries. talking about where you had to fight the fight. You had to fight the little gargoyles, and then you had to fall off a ledge and pull the lever to open the door. Fall off a ledge, pull a lever. I don't think I fell off a ledge. I mean, I just worked my way up some stairs and a ladder okay, or something. Describe yeah. the boss to me, because we might be talking about the same boss, but labeling it as a different thing. <laughs> yeah. It looked like an Egyptian like statue, like a dog. I don't know. Like, a... did it move around like the gargoyles from Dark Souls One in the hell area? In the hell area, yeah. Like very, like it didn't move. The it didn't have like body parts that were moving. It was very like robotic and stiff. 
That's the cat gargoyle. That's what I called it, the cat gargoyle. Okay. Yeah, so it's the same boss. Okay. Cat gargoyle. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, beat that guy and then beat some more enemies. And then and then at that point, I'm like, holy crap. Uh, and I've done this before in other From, FromSoft games. I'm like, I can't level up. <laughs> I've not figured out how to level up yet. Now I got all these runes, you know. <laughs> I knew I needed the runes to level up, but I couldn't do it. So had to go figure out how to level up. Just did some more exploring and finally found yeah, that bigger outpost and that side of grace to unlock the horse and then also the ability to level up. So, you know, I just spent some time farming some more en- enemies and getting a couple levels. Um, didn't stray too far from that original area at first. Um, but yeah, then I didn't, uh, if you go towards, if you go towards the castle, which is kind of like that main path, you end up with the first tough boss, um, which I guess I already mentioned a boss. So I'll, I'll cut it off there. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I haven't fought that first boss yet. Have you? Oh yes, and the one after. Yeah, oh yeah. That's so you you've already fought the main that main dude. Yeah, Magritte or McGurt, whatever he's so called. So that's interesting. Yeah. So for me, I'm seven hours in. I'm not too far behind you, but basically what I did is from the so picture in your mind you're looking at the map. You know the big outpost right where you get the map fragment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did is went east. And I found one of the Mario 64 paintings. You know, have you seen those where you can find a yes. painting? Yeah. So I found that at a cabin, right? And then if you go more east of that, and I want to be as vague as possible because I don't want to spoil it for you. If you go more east of that, you're going to find a dude shouting on top of a ruined building. And he's like, hey, is anybody out there? Is anybody out there? You go and talk to him, and he wants you to help him retake his fort. Yes, I found him. Yep. Yeah, Kenneth Haight. Mm-hmm. Have you gone and done his fort yet? Have you went and cleared the fort yet? No, but he sounded like a tool, so I was not he, excited about He it. is a tool, but I would suggest <laughs> going to clear his fort in the southeast because the main boss of that fort, obviously I'm being as vague as possible, has an art of war. Is that what they're called? The specials that you can put on your weapons in this game, mm-hmm. right? Something it like has that. an art of war that has to do with bleeding that's really cool. So uh-huh. I would suggest going and clearing that when you can because it's definitely worth it in my opinion. At least check it out. To the east of him, is a forest have you ventured in that forest at all oh i think a little bit but uh not for too long i don't think i remember finding anything of note there's very giant creatures in that forest uh that you kind of want to avoid unless you're looking for a a tough fight i'll just put it that way okay um but there's a building you can find in there that's an elevator that leads you down into a place called sofria river and i don't know how much of kind of funny's preview coverage you listen to at all um, I, so I was clear. kind of blackout on it. I kind of like yeah. bits and pieces. One thing that Andy uh, Cortez mentioned um, is that he said there was a point when he was playing this game where he took an elevator down and it just kept going and going. And that was the moment when he realized he wasn't going to beat this game in 30 hours. Right. And that's the moment for me. It's I, I'm pretty sure it's the same moment because you take this elevator down, Dom, and it's probably the longest elevator ride I've had in a from game. It's crazy. And it feels like a completely new area. It feels like a, like it's very much the same as when you're in a, a traditional Souls game and you get to a brand new area and it has its own vibe and it has it has its own theme. This one, you just ride an elevator down and it feels like you're going to spend a good 10 to 15 hours here. It's just really cool. There. Yeah. And I've just stepped foot in that area and that's where I'm currently at. Before that, I did the Fort Hate and all that stuff. So I'm still down there. So I don't know when I'm going to get to the first main boss upstairs at the castle, but that's what I'm doing currently. Um, and that's, it's interesting because I've seen other people who are like 
Yeah. Five hours in, and they already fought that first dude. And I'm like, I'm not even close. I'm still exploring, finding new stuff. Did you run into that giant? Like, there's an open field to uh, the east of when you first walk out of the beginning area. And you can go to this giant field, and there's just an army of undead fighting an army of, like, the weird monkey goblin guys. No. What the? Yeah, there's, like, eight of them fighting another, like, ten of them. It's, like, this open field siege fight, and they're just fighting each other. You can just sit there and watch, and it's really cool. What the heck? Man. Yeah. No, I, um, I'm going to have to go back, because I made it pretty far through that main castle area, right? Um, okay. And it was, oh, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, and I, I don't even know if, actually, there might be more to it than I've gotten, but, yeah. I think I'm going to probably backtrack now and spend some more time in that initial area because it sounds like I missed a, a, quite a bit of stuff. Um, and now that There's, I have some more levels, it should be a little more easy. It's definitely worth exploring. There's a bunch of really cool experience I've had just in that area. There's like these weird uh, steel ball caterpillar things that you can run into that are super weird. There's a surprise boss that pops up out of nowhere. Obviously, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you're just finding some random enemies and then this thing appears and I think it drops one of the uh, spectral tears or whatever they're called. The things that upgrade your flask uh, amount or whatever it is. I think it's called a spectral oh, tier. Well, whatever. I can, I can give you a tip if you want. Um, Cause yeah, you do get spectral tears and they have to do with flasks, but it's not exactly what you think. And it, it, it honestly, it requires a little bit of guidance. It's kind of ridiculous. But you can find it on your own, I guess, um, eventually. Good. I don't mind. Basically, there's a so there's your regular flask that replenishes health. Then there's a magic flask, right, that replenishes magic um, or FP because it's used for other stuff too, I guess. But there's a third flask um, that's basically customizable. And those tiers um, contribute towards what that flask does. Um, I only oh. have, like, one tier at this point, but... I don't so I don't know I I'm I am assuming that the, like more tiers will do different things, um and you like mix them together, to make this flask do whatever it is. So, yeah, those tiers are gonna be are, are gonna be valuable. But maybe not the tier then, but whatever the item is that specifically upgrades the amount of health you gain back from your flask, that's the item so that's that that the... boss drops. Yeah. Okay. And maybe I picked up a spectral tier elsewhere and then just put it to that but i remember when i used this item it specifically said you know the amount of your uh healing flask has been upgraded or whatever um yeah it's this game is really cool because i feel like i'm being rewarded for exploration which is the thing you you want to have happen and a friend of the show chris noons talked about how he felt that horizon was like a little bit overwhelming and too much of like the traditional open world handholdy game and he wanted something that was less guidey uh, which, to your point, mm -hmm. we just talked about something that's a little bit more obtuse and you kind of need to learn about. But I'm liking this. It's very much the antithesis to the modern open world game. And the funny thing is people are, you know, people often compare every game to Breath of the Wild. But to me, I think this game does, for me, what Breath of the Wild did for so many people. Because Breath of the Wild, uh, looking back at it, even though I didn't enjoy the game as much as other people, it was very much also an antithesis to the traditional expected open world design i just think for me from software's world design and everything is much better and instead of the way breath of the wild delivered a kind of the weakest part of that game is the narrative right i don't think anybody would argue that for breath of the wild 
from software doesn't even try to deliver that type of narrative. It's all environmental storytelling and stuff for the most part. So I think this just clicks for me. This is my breath of the wild because it has a lot of the things I enjoy. And maybe it's just because I like the way from software develops environments more than Nintendo's team that works on Zelda, you know? Maybe that's just the point. Yeah, and it's it's a very similar feeling of, of like, yeah, you're kind of just exploring and then figuring things out. Like, oh, what's this? Oh, it does this. Like, I've had I had one bad moment of that where I was exploring, like, so, like not too far off from the, that initial area, and I found it literally hidden in some bushes, but it was glowing enough to, like, make me wonder what it was. And it was a portal, and it transported me to a place that was entirely different. And then I, I, and I opened the map, and I'm way over in the corner, way far, like, what would be 100 miles away? (laughs) And it was an entirely different color. The sky was different, and the enemies were insane. I, I grabbed two sites of grace or whatever, but like everything was killing me in like a hit. And there was a dragon that was just guarding this bridge. It was, I was like, why am I here? Like, so that was like one where (laughs) exploration kind of was like, you don't belong here. (laughs) Fucking like go home. So I didn't spend too much more time there. But it's funny though, because classic fantasy tales would lead you to believe. Oh, there's something you found secret in the bushes. It's a special sword or a helmet or a right. holy grail. And from software's like, nah, it's a portal that's gonna put you to your death. <laughs> you know, which is cool. Yeah. And it, it was interesting though, because as soon as I landed there, I'm like, I don't think I belong here. I don't think this is gonna work out well. Um it just yeah. it had a vibe. But it, but it's fun though. It was interesting because for the most part, you find cool stuff when you're exploring. Um some of the stuff in typical FromSoft fashion, you're not sure exactly what it does. A little cryptic some of the items right but um when you do find out things start to connect um again i'm so i'm so early i feel like there's just so much that i want to go check out still um even now back where i've already been i feel like i need to go back and be a little more thorough because um i kind of wanted to like get through the first couple chunks get some levels um upgrade the gear what a level are you, by the way i'm about to 27 or 28 um so I'm I just 25. That's okay. funny that you've. D- it feels like you've done so much more main progress than I have. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though we're kind of similar in terms of our our place in terms of level. Yeah, it it's interesting. I'm excited to keep playing. It's just there's just so much. Um, but also, I think it is if you know what you're doing and how the stats work and like what weapons can do what and what to upgrade. Um, it gets easier, and also they're really. I mentioned like the summoning bell, where you can summon kind of short-term phantoms. They're also really um, generous with the NPC phantoms you can summon for bosses. I'll just say that much. Um, there's, are they? Um, I wonder if are those only for the bigger bosses? Because I haven't run into those in the three bosses I've fought so far. That's what I've seen. So like the the traditional, and you can kind of tell like it. You know, it's, this isn't the uh, one of those bosses that just runs up on you when you're in the world. It's kind of, you've been exploring this castle for a long time and there's finally this gate you get to and yeah, there's a summon sign in front of it in typical fashion. Um, and also there's no, there doesn't seem to be a mechanic where like you have to be human to summon, you know, which you oh, can okay. only do by gathering yeah. these rare humanity items. Um, there's nothing like that. And also there's no, um, and for new people, it's going to like, it would probably shake them, but there's no, penalty to dying you know other than losing your runes there's no yeah your health bar maximum slowly decreases the more you die there's nothing like that like other souls games so that makes it a bit easier too i think like this game is both more like 
easier and more friendly to new players um, in that sense, but only if you take the time to explore and learn how things work. Because if you just kind of run around haphazardly, you're going to get your, your face stomped in probably quite a bit. But if, yeah, if you take some time and take some things in, then it's, I think it's, it ends up being easier. Plus, like, things are so much more exploitable when it's a giant open world, right? You can go and find weapons that you don't have any business getting, um, and you have a horse. And that doesn't make your experience any less valid. Like, if the oh, game yeah, allows you to do it, do it. Like, I'm not one of those people, the people yeah. you know, that's like, you need to face it just with just a weapon, no help, no nothing. Play the game how you want to play it. Cheese it if you find a cheese. Who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it so far. Um, yeah, I just, I just wish I could. Just, I guess I'm excited to talk about it more in the coming weeks. Is what I'll say because I want to yeah. keep playing. For sure, and hopefully we can have Chris on sometime soon too because he's playing through it as well. Because it's like one thing to get our perspective of like people who love the From games, but he's not as, um, he's not us when it comes to that stuff. You know what I mean? So I'd be interested to see how much he likes it. I wanted to real quick before we close out. I wanted to point out two things of criticism that I kind of want to push back on a little bit. I, not that I don't understand the perspective of the critique, it's just that I don't fully agree with it. The first one is the lack of a pause. Uh, this is something that comes up with every From game, mm-hmm. it seems like. Yep. For me in this game, I feel, in my experience, that the gray sites are close enough together that a pause menu, uh, like pausing the game, I don't know. I just, I think that there's enough gray sites that you can plan accordingly to go back to a gray site. There's items you can use if you're really in a pinch, like if an emergency comes up, there's items that allow you to teleport back to a site of grace without losing anything. Like, I think there's plenty of options to where it's not mandatory. Sure is a quality of life feature, sure, but like, I don't think it's, the lack of it is detrimental. You know what I mean? And I could be off base on that, but I just don't really agree with that perspective. Yeah, that's, I mean... So they, they had a pause, I think, in Sekiro, I think. But that was the first time. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I think I, I feel like there's no reason you shouldn't, um, unless it's a technical reason. But it's I see it more as like, you know, oh, crap, my dog just puked in the corner, and I'm in the middle of a boss fight. I guess I'm going to die. You know, I, <laughs> at least that's all there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not so – because that's a good point that you made, though. There's tons of sites of grace. They're all over the place which is important because the world's so big, but that makes it a heck of a lot easier. Um, like for in, that, in the castle I mentioned in Stormvale, uh, that makes that much more approachable. But, um, but yeah, I'm also that's not the, against them adding it. Like if they added it one day, I'm not going to be like, oh, you just ruined Elven or Ink. You know what I mean? It, Fine, right. if they want to add it, add it. I'm just saying that I don't think it's enough of an issue for it to be a major critique of the game. And honestly, oh, yeah. I think at this point, the game is so well-crafted that those are the only type of critiques that people put forward because it is such a well-polished experience. Not flawless, but really well-polished. The other point of criticism, I think, comes from a generation, maybe a generation too strong of word, but a group of people who consider Breath of the Wild to be their favorite game of all time. And one of the most divisive parts of that game is the weapon degradation, right? You either vibe with that stuff or you don't. And the thing that Breath of the Wild does, depending on if you enjoyed it or not, it's either one of the most genius parts of the game or one of the most infuriating parts is that it teaches you to not get attached to your weaponry and try new weapons and move on to new weapons and kind of have an arsenal of things to use as opposed to a single item. A criticism I've seen for Elden Ring is that people feel as if the reward feedback for defeating bosses and enemies 
isn't that rewarding because you're not always getting a better weapon than the one you have. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. kind of misinterpret the whole point of the way from software implements weapons is that it's not a system in which you're getting the next gold loot drop. These aren't loot drops. You know what I mean? It's that you're trying to find a weapon that best benefits your build and upgrading that weapon. So you may find that weapon early in the game, like Lord Jern's greatsword, right? Or you might find the weapon a little bit later in the game, depending on if you're doing a dex build or something else. It's not the type of game in which every time you find a new weapon, there's a good chance it could and should be your next weapon. That's just not how it functions. Yeah. Often, most times for me and from games, I find the weapon that works with my build and I carry that throughout. You know what I mean? So I think that's a, a weird criticism because you're not criticizing the quality of an aspect of the game. You're criticizing that this game doesn't function like other modern games you play because you're of your expectations going into it, you know? Yeah, and that's something that's, I think it's pretty, I feel like that's pretty unique to Dark Souls specifically because even um, Sekiro and even Bloodborne too, there's not, as especially Sekiro, there's no build variety, right? So most things you find are rewarded with you're, they're going to be of benefit to you, like almost always, right? Um, but this, this is that's been a what you described. That's been a Dark Souls thing forever. Like, yeah, you're going to find a sword that you need 20 strength to to even use, and you know you just made a, a dex build and you got 30 dex and you can't even hold the sword. But like, it was what you found for you know ma- killing all these enemies and venturing through this treacherous territory, and then you get the sword that you can't even use. Or more often, it's like a spell and you haven't been using magic, so you, can, you don't even know what to do with it, right? um stuff like that it's i i can see that but i think um there's so much variety and you're you're rewarded so much that like um when those couple things happen it's like not a big deal because you know in the next cave in the next dungeon like you're finding stuff that is applicable to your build and what you're doing plus all the mainline stuff like you're also always getting runes right you're always getting rewarded with runes and the majority of the items are helpful like healing items or um even like throwing bombs and like things you can enhance your uh sword with temporarily with fire magic whatever all that kind of stuff like so much of the items are helpful so it's not that often that like you conquer this whole territory and all you get is some faith spell that you can't even use that's i'm not that's not super common i guess um i think the reward system works pretty well it's pretty well balanced like no matter how you're playing it gives you the variability to do different things um, and have different types of fun, but also like make sure to reward all those different builds simultaneously um, or enough, basically. So I like that about these games. Right? It's it's just different. It's a different type of design than yeah what we have with yeah. Breath of the Wild um, and some other stuff. It's like loving aquariums and then going to the zoo and being mad that they only have two fish, right? It's like that's not the point of the zoo. The the zoo sure could have fish, but no, mm-hmm. that's where you go to an aquarium. You know what I mean? So, and I think to your point, it's like people who have played all the Dark Souls and just from games in general understand that that's yeah, the point of exactly. it. Exactly. But to our point earlier with the sales and how you said it is bringing a larger audience, which is partially to its detriment in terms of general crit- criticism, is that you do have people coming in expecting a open world game that they've played before, and it's not that. You know, so. And that's a good. That's a good question on like how we do reviews and stuff, I guess, because people who reviewed this game they know they know this stuff right so and you know they give it a 10 out of 10 and someone who has never played this that game in the series before goes to buy it thinking oh it got great review scores like 
Well, that doesn't mean that you're equipped with all the knowledge um, that you might that, that from software expects you to have coming in, I guess. Um, and that's, I think, why it's so important that we have people of all different backgrounds reviewing games because you and I are looking for a review that is from the perspective of somebody who's very intimate with the Soul series and from games like uh, Tamor Hussein from GameSpot, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're somebody coming in for the first time jumping into it, an expert could give you a good perspective on it, but you might be more beneficial and better off reading a review from somebody who's playing a from game for the first time, because that'll be the closest to your experience, you know, but so again, that's important as well. I think it would be, you know, a rough start for someone who's new and they might feel a little bit like, what the heck? Why do people love this game so much? How did it get such great reviews? But it will take you not very long. And I, and I promise if you look up one or two guides of like, here, the, here's the 10 things to do first, you know, you do those things and anyone can, um, then you're going to be good to go and you're going to be able to learn quickly and you're going to be able to start dominating. And it just takes a little bit of a guidance, I think. And that's, that's totally fair. Right. Well, but that's just what you need. And FromSoft doesn't always give you, you know, that list of 10 things you need to do first. You got to kind of find it yourself. Right? And if you, if someone needs to prompt you to that, that's good too. Um, if that can get you in the door, you know, just gotta like get that initial understanding of how the shit works. Cause it's not, not, um, it's not red dead Two. It's not, it's not even breath of the wild. Right. It's, it takes a minute. And maybe uh, part of the interest is nostalgic because people are like, oh, well, you shouldn't have to go to ex external uh, resources to play a game. It's like, well, then you don't remember classic video games where, like, yeah. Pokemon Red and Blue, I had to look up a strategy guide on how to evolve certain Pokemon. Uh, the original Super Mario, I didn't know how to get to the secret levels. I needed to look that up uh, somewhere and find that out. Um, so I do think there's part of that, too, where it's like this communal learning process that endears us to it as well. Um, I got to get ready for the Batman though, Dom. So we got to get going. So we're going to close up the show here. Thank you guys for listening. We'll have more Elden Ring impressions next week. If you guys can, please follow us on YouTube, search control of the interest will pop right up. Subscribe, like the video. If you like it, leave us a comment down below. Listen to us on Spotify. That's where I like to push our traffic to listen to us. Leave us a review on there. It definitely helps us grow. We're on other podcast services, services like Apple podcasts. If you listen there instead, we're also on Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, we are CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. I am at Jared Weich, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. -R -R -E. Dom is at OB Dom Kenobi, but the O and OB is the number zero, not the letter O. On Instagram, we are Controlled Interest. We will catch you guys next week as we dive deeper into the world of Elden Ring. See you guys then.